You are listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, a weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht, Benjamin Pieske and Sam Gardner designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today we are talking about a controversial topic. Are or SARS? What is a better tool in pharmaceutical research? Stay tuned. If you go online and you look into social media, you'll find lots of data scientists talking about R versus Python. Well, in medical clinical research, it's not so much about R versus Python. It's more about R versus SARS. SARS has been there for decades, but R is the new guy that is getting stronger and stronger every day. Well, SARS has also invested quite a lot. So what's a tool of choice? Stay tuned, there's a really, really interesting discussioning happening in this episode. I'm producing this podcast in association with PSI, a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the ever-growing video-on-demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars, and much, much more. The reduced rate is only £20 for non-high-income countries, and it's also only £95 for high-income countries, annually, of course. Visit the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to another episode. And today we are talking about a controversial topic that Sam actually came up with. Sam, you suggested that we do a podcast of R versus SARS. So... Maybe, you know, you can tell a little bit of a story of, you know, what was your first kind of experience or, you know, touch point with R. When did you first hear about it? When I was in graduate school studying statistics, the primary tools we used to learn to do statistics on were SAS. And this is the old school, like SAS on the console, you know, where you submit code and wait for it to run and go open a file with the output results or print them out. You know, it wasn't even a, uh, there was no sort of even like the program editor was, I think existed on Unix, but you know, we were just doing it on like an IBM console. Um, and uh, we used some other tools like MATLAB and S um, um, OmniTab, which was like the predecessor to Minitab that was used sometimes for teaching. Um, and uh, and then our, I, I'm not even sure when R actually sort of came into existence, but I'm not sure it was around when I started graduate school. But near the end of my program, when I was there full time in school, there was a professor down the hall and he had started using this new code called R. It was like a clone of SAS and, or a clone of S. And we were all whispering about it in the hallway, like, oh, he's using this new software and you know, I'm not really sure about it. It's just trying to copy S and is it really going to go anywhere? Um, I guess it really did actually in the end, but it, it has, but, um, but yeah, at the time it was, you know, sort of fringe, 
you know, it was on the fringe of what people were doing in, in statistics. And it was very much just sort of an experimental research tool at that time. So that was my first exposure to um, R and seeing it used. And then I didn't really see much of it um, until probably, you know, in the last 10 years is when I've really started to see it and be and used and be recognized as a, a tool that could be used in for more than just academic purposes. And uh, yeah, I, I also started with SARS. I, I remember, well, I actually started with C, but that was, you know, even, even earlier in my career. But when I started to do some statistics, I were, was using SARS, I think, not sure whether it was some kind of version two or, or, or whether it was version three point something. I, I think we were quite excited when version 3.11 came out because that, that had some new stuff in it. But yeah, so that was, you can see, or you can listen how old Sam and I are. <laughs> but um, we, because we are so old, we have, uh, yeah, a more, younger generation participants today as well. So, Thomas, great to have you here on the show as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, maybe you can start a little bit with an introduction of yourself. Sure. So, I'm currently working at Roche as a statistical programmer. Been there for now one and a half years or so. And in my current role, I'm actually leading a team that develops an R package to create Atom datasets according to the CDISC standard, uh, which is actually a collaboration with another pharmaceutical company, GSK. Um, so you can see kind of R is, is in high demand in the industry, which for a person like me is uh, kind of a good situation because actually the, the very first programming language um, I was ever kind of introduced to was R. That was back in 2014, I believe. Um, When I, when I started working at a research lab and then some PhD student handed me a script over and said, yeah, just run that script and you will get the output from this data that we collected. And obviously having never coded before, I didn't even know how to open that file. Uh, <laughs> so that, that was certainly a frustrating experience for sure. But I downloaded R, R Studio and... Uh, you know, I managed to run that program. And then I thought like, oh, it would be so cool if I could change like some things and, and make it, you know, adjusted to my needs. And then I really went down the rabbit hole and learned R, um, became pretty proficient in it. And well, now, yeah, I'm a statistical programmer and it's kind of my, my daily bread and butter. But actually then when I started Or when I decided to join the pharmaceutical industry, um, I learned about SAS for the first time. That was, um, I guess, 2019-ish or 18. Um, yeah, and then, then I learned SAS, sort of with my R background, SAS. That, that was very, very different, um, but certainly was an interesting experience. And then I did these, uh, all these certifications that SAS offers and I landed my first job at a CRO And back then, at, at that job, it was really full-time SaaS, the classical thing in the farmer industry. But once I joined over at Roche, um, very frequently uh, or very soon, um, people kind of saw that I'm proficient in R, so they handed me over all this work. And then, um, yeah, it started from there. And now that's basically all I'm doing. Very, very interesting. So let's talk today a little bit about these two different softwares. And I have a couple of dimensions wrote down for myself. Uh, by the way, I'm not doing any programming 
anymore for quite some time. So I'm probably a good kind of moderator here, but not a lot of content bringer. So <laughs> I can only see what the output is, and uh, but I can't really tell kind of how flexible things is. I tried a little bit to program an R, but that's quite some time ago. Okay, so let's talk about first getting up to speed, yeah? So Sam, how long do you think, you know, someone that is completely new, has never coded before, can learn, you know, decent amount of SaaS, so to kind of get along on a day-to-day -day basis? That's a good question. And I'm not really sure. I think if people learn SaaS the way I learned it, you learn SaaS by shamelessly stealing other people's code. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. You say, well, how did you do this before? And you see the code and you start to see how it works. And, and then you start to learn the syntax, you know, and I, back in the day, a long time ago, we actually had paper printed manuals, yes. right. That were set on the shelf of all the, the SaaS. The blue ones. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, to, to find uh, the syntax and examples. Now that's all online. So I think with the availability of the online documentation, it's a lot easier that way. But I, I think uh, there's a little bit of a, a learning curve that you have to climb up, particularly if your first exposure was not SAS. Like if you're just starting from scratch and you've never done any statistical computing, you know, you're going to struggle just like anybody else with it, learning something new. But if you started using R, for instance like Thomas, you know, and then you get thrown into SAS, immediately you're good. It's completely different. You know, the whole paradigm in many ways for how you get data in to do analysis and then how you actually do analysis and get results out and is, is very different than in between SAS and R in many ways. And so in a lot of that stuff in SAS is carried over from its initial architecture, you know, when it was designed to be run on mainframe computers back in the, the 90s, right? In the 80s and 90s. So some of that still kind of carries over that flavor and it seems a little antique sometimes, antiquated. But but uh, once you learn it, you, you also think you see some of the the real power and, and that, that's there and, and that some of those initial dis design decisions around the software really had lasting staying power. There's still good ideas about how, do you, how would you design a, a software system to read in a lot of data and manage a lot of data and do analysis on it is, is, is pretty good. So, Thomas, what would be your kind of perception? How, how do you learn R? So oh, you also given some code and then work from there. Yeah, and, and actually, if you then kind of Google for R resources, there is so much, it's actually hard to decide on where to start, which, which course to take. There, there's so many resources out there. There, there's some great books. Um, for example, one I recommend frequently is R for Data Science, um, which is a really good one. But there's many platforms that offer, um, you know, this kind of MOOC style courses, which I also took back in the days, which, which really helped me. And then again, I think if you're new, if you've never, you know, really done computer programming, then it certainly will take time, um, just like what it says. I think if you have a background in something like Python, for example, you can get up to speed very, very quickly because kind of the, the general principles are fairly similar. Whereas, as, as Sam mentioned, if, if you come from an R background and then get to SES, SES is kind of very, very different to many of, I would say, today's um, general purpose languages. Yeah, R feels more like 
modern programming languages or just general programming languages. Yeah. Like if you learn how to program in C or C sharp or something like that, you, some of those uh, more of an object oriented type programming language R seems a little bit more yeah, natural. Yeah, exactly. Does, for sure. Although if you ask uh, Python programmers, they will tell you that it's a horrible language for whatever reason. I don't understand, but yeah, <laughs> everyone has their preferences, I guess. Yeah, there's a lot of these right. Python versus R debates, which is, uh, yeah, interesting. But um, today it's, I think actually in the pharmaceutical industry, it's more kind of question of R versus SARS. It's interesting, not so much Python. I think from what I've seen, some people playing around with Python, but it's really a you know a niche thing. Whereas R is now, I think every pharma company probably has now an R strategy, so to speak, um, and it's really trying to um, develop tools along those lines. And I think Python is more outside of classical clinical trials. If you're really heavy in machine learning, doing neural networks, I think that's where it pretty shines, has yeah. uh, great libraries. Yeah, so kind of general purpose data science. I think in some of the non-clinical areas and areas where you have lots of data um, and you have to manage lots of data and you're using mostly open source tools, Python has a lot more um, use there. Okay. In terms of then kind of managing things on a day-to-day, yeah? So when you need to update things, when you need to kind of change things, how easy would you say is it for R versus SARS? This time I maybe can start with Thomas. So where, where exactly are you going with the question? Kind of updating existing code or? Yeah, so, so the ease of use on a day-to-day basis. Well, I, I would say I would say it's fairly similar. For example, in R, the, many people use R Studio as their favorite editor. Um, and now SAS has SAS Studio, which is in many ways very similar, a nice interface to work with. At least I liked it very much. I know like old school SAS programmers, they are more on the PC SAS side, um, but each has their favorite tools. I was actually quite, quite happy when, you know, SAS introduced some kind of help. So in terms of showing that when you have missed the semicolon. Yeah, probably. <laughs> that's, a whole different, that's a whole different story about trying to pry the enhanced SAS editor out of programmers' cold, dead fingers because they do not want to change. But that, well, maybe you do that on a different Exactly. Different yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So IDE is really, really nice to have. Okay, next dimension, community. Sam, what do you think about the SaaS community and all the kind of right. events around it and stuff like this? Yeah, I think an IDE is really a great tool to have. At least, I mean, I can really not imagine not having one, like just a plain text editor. Uh, I would probably really suck because I would have so many syntax errors. Yeah. Yeah, and that was back in the day. That's how we did SAS coding. Op- open up Emacs or VI and type your code, save the file and do SAS space the file name and let it run. You know, that was it. <laughs> you know, there's uh, different types of communities. SAS itself, you know, has a very large sales and marketing organization and they put a lot of effort into creating events and I guess environments where you can meet other SAS users, share stories with them, get to know them, where you can ask questions. Their technical support is very good too. You know, if you have a technical question, they generally are very helpful. So I think they they they, they do a lot there. But I and and I work I used to work at SAS, not not selling actually SAS products. I sold jump products or worked in the sales and marketing for jump. 
so I know, but I know a little bit about how things work inside SAS and, or at least how, how it used to work. And, um, you know, SAS makes its money by selling big solutions to companies, right? They don't really make their money by selling PC SAS to an individual, right? Um, that, that the, where the big revenue comes from is for a large company, yeah. like a pharma company yeah. will buy SAS to be able to be used by hundreds of people, yeah. right? And systems that do fraud detection and things like that. So they they organize a lot of their communities around those solutions. I guess is what I'm trying to get at is they, you know, so you you may go to an event and they'll talk about well what can SAS do for fraud detection or you may go to a conference and they have a lot of talks on this is how I use this SAS system this integrated system using SAS as the foundation to solve my problem. Um, but then you also have the SAS user groups. And at least in the United States, I've got, I guess I don't know if they have those exist in Europe, but but in the United States, they have a lot of regional SaaS user groups that often run their own conferences. And those are actually some of the best ones to go to if you really just want to learn new things about SaaS, because they tend to be run by users, not by SaaS, and and that's nice. Yeah, so that's also the SaaS Global Forum which uh, I attended two years ago, and speaking again in. 2021 so depending on when that's those are great events if you can afford and you have the time to go to the you learn a lot um they treat you pretty well and and uh, you get a, an opportunity to get a, a broad exposure to people who are using SaaS in a lot yeah. of different companies not and just thousands fun. of participants it's huge it's really mm -hmm. huge yeah yeah so you need a big convention center <laughs> to, to run that okay uh thomas what do you think about the r community Uh, I think it's a really great community, especially if you're like a, how to call it, internet first person, you know, kind of my generation. If you go on Twitter and then there's hashtag RStats, for example, and people, you know, posting uh, their new solutions they come up with, asking questions, helping others out. It's really great. It's also on LinkedIn, it kind of started kicking up. And then you have obviously things like Stack Over where you can probably get an answer for any question you can think of. So if you just type R and then your question in Google, you'll probably find an entry um, from another user that faced a similar problem as you. And in general, the, the community is really um, trying to help each other, um, trying to improve R and the R ecosystem itself. And there's also a heavy emphasis on kind of diversity, trying to include um, as many groups of people as possible. So um, it, it's a fantastic community to be part of. Then obviously compared to SAS, uh, there, there is no R helpless that you can call. There's no company behind this. It's kind of an open source uh, language. There's obviously the R core team, but that's basically a couple of statistics professors that have a real full-time job. Um, you can't just call them up and ask them the question, um, but that's really where the community shines. And then obviously there's also a lot of conferences. So things like, um, for example, in my field, R and Farmer is a big one. R Studio does their um, R Studio conf. You, you have uh, European conferences and whatnot. Also our meetups kind of similar to the SES user groups that that's also huge. Um, and, and I feel like it's just getting more and more. Um, and yeah, it's, it's great. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's actually interesting. There's an R consortium. So that is a kind of much bigger society, I would say, around uh, or association around uh, R. And then there's R Studio, but R Studio is actually a company. Yeah. So 
they actually have a help desk where you can uh, call and they have also you know, salespeople and things like that. Yeah. So that's but then that's really kind of our studio is their kind of IDE that they developed. Yeah. Um, and now obviously they scale to much more products, but it's not like they are behind R, the language itself. Yeah. But definitely, we're, I think we're very lucky to have our studio as a company in the space. And I think they recently transitioned to what is called a public benefit company in the US. So kind of they're an... You could kind of say, I think it's a not-for-profit company. It's kind of trying um, to work for the greater good of the art community, so to speak. Um, so, yeah, and I think every pharma company that um, uses our, uses our studio products and is very happy to have them um, because they are really good. Yeah, I like the, I like the RStudio IDE quite a bit. It's, it's a nice tool. Um, I've tried a couple other things and it, that, that's one of the best, I think. So. And they also have, you know, the blog like our views and, and uh, stuff like this. Yes. Uh, yes. So. Yeah, I think that they're really heavy also on the educational content side. And they actually now also have an um, kind of instructor program, kind of teaching others how to teach R, um, which I think in general and programming is kind of a problem because there's lots and lots of great skilled programmers out there, but actually teaching someone how to program is a whole different skill set. Um, and I, I was, I was lucky enough to attend that session last year. So um, it's, it's really interesting if you think of the methodology behind how you can actually bring someone um, up to speed and can teach them if kind of using empirical best practices um, to program because oftentimes, yeah, it's, it's like you give someone a script and then it's like, yeah, find it out. And if you're smart enough, you can do it. But that's probably not the best way to, to get someone. To well, you know, you said something there that, that triggered me a little bit. And I don't want this to turn into a war, right? Because this is not like who's, which software is the best software. But one thing that triggered me, triggered me a little bit is you said you have to teach somebody how to do programming. Um, my experience has been with, I work with a lot of people, scientists and engineers, yeah. they just want answers. They don't want to, they, they want to solve problems, right? And what they want is the uh, tools to help them solve problems. And so, you know, I'm a big user of Jump, which is one of SAS's projects, pr products. And, and what's its real power yeah. is it's primarily, or at least on its main interface, point and click. And it has a graphical user interface. I don't know if anything really, how much of that actually exists for R and even for SAS. And just you can you can um, you know drop in little sections of code right that you want to run and say open up data sets and it does a lot of the actual code generation they're they're code generators is what those graphical user interfaces are for SAS but does a pretty good job of that for the basic user where they don't really need to learn code so what would be your response to that it's like well what about what if I'm working with someone that doesn't want to code yeah is there kind of some kind of jump like version of R? I don't know I mean I, I didn't really use jump ever so I cannot make like a really accurate comparison um, but I don't think there is like a drag and drop kind of interface to R Obviously, R Shiny is a very popular tool where you can kind of build solutions, but then you, you get into real kind of programming development. But we, for example, do that extensively in Rosh. We use this R Shiny framework and then give basically these web applications where our scientists can kind of explore their data um, in a way that is a bit more um, tailored towards, um, let's say, the analysis that has been, for example, written down in a statistical analysis plan rather than being able to um, basically drag and drop around everything and give them sort of um, the ultimate freedom to, to explore, let's just say, which 
might sound not good, but um, actually sometimes it's good to push them in a certain direction, let's say, with um, where, where they can go, because um, clinical scientists can be very creative in finding out very interesting subgroups. Yeah, I think there is a package. There is a package called R Commander that someone has out there that has some okay. um, GUI functionality in it. So. Yeah, but you know, it's that is actually one of these things. It's kind of the more flexible something becomes, yeah, the more difficult it is also becomes, yeah. So, so, and I think uh, jump is then something that is less flexible, but then of course much easier to use because then you have the power of templates of defaults and all these kind of things yeah and that helps yep. then of course to kind of minimize the the options and and standardize lots of things and that makes it easy to get lots of things quite quickly i think one of the nice things and that's maybe the next thing that i want to talk about is visualization you know with with jump you can very quickly get lots of easy visualizations with you know yeah. And, and SAS too has newer, the newer versions of SAS um, have come along with web-based, HTML-based uh, interfaces where you can do some of that uh, interactive visualization too. What do they call that? They call that Visual Studio, I think is what yeah. it's called in SAS. Uh, I've used it a little bit. It's kind of nice. It's, it's uh, you know, you can, you have to have your data set prepared in advance, right? But once you've got it set up, then you can drag and drop variables onto a graph and make different types of graphs and save them and things like that. And, that, and that's very nice. Even though I'm kind of on the, on this, this debate kind of on the SAS side, I will say like really like high quality publication quality graphs are hard to make in SAS. And that's, that's just admitted. There are people who've kind of made their whole careers knowing proc G plot, right? <laughs> you know how to, they're experts in proc G plot because they can do it. They've, they've improved SAS quite a bit in a lot of ways. A lot of the statistical procedures automatically generate relevant statistical graphics now, which is nice that you can output as, and that's just an option in the, in the commands when you, when you do it. But, um, but if you just want a really refined, precise graph of your data, sometimes you have to work pretty hard in it, but I, I don't know if that's different in R or not either. So Thomas, what's your reply in terms of visualization in R? Yeah, so from my point of view, um, yeah, as Sam mentioned, kind of if you really want to create a publication-ready, high-quality graph, R is one of the best tools out there, I think, and especially the ggplot2 package, um, which kind of builds on this, what is called the grammar of graphics. So it's kind of really a, let, let's say, plots broken down on a theoretical layer, how to actually, which layers are there and so forth. So rather than thinking about bar plots and uh, scatter plots and so forth, really taking a step back, um, and trying to define this grammar, um, which which can make it, um, I would say, initially difficult to work with because you have to understand these concepts. But I think once you once it made click, then you're really able to create extremely uh, refined graphics and also combine uh, graphics in a very elegant way. Um, and yeah, the more proficient then you get with theming, then you can basically. Um, make it look like any newspaper you want out there because it's so flexible. Um, if you just stick to the defaults, well, then it will look like a ggplot with kind of this default gray and white background, but super, super flexible tool, extremely powerful. Um, yeah. So that's, again, one of the innovations that came out of RStudio and Hadley Wickham, um, 
where they develop this package. And yeah, I think the community also really appreciates to have that yeah. because R also has like built-in graphics, which I think at the time was also extremely powerful. And I think it still is, but I would say ggplot just adds, you know, another um, bit of functionality on top, a bit more sophistication and you can get even better results. Okay. Um, you just mentioned kind of ggplot is an, is an update. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about updates. How does it work with updates in R? Yeah. So um, if you now go to the um, R project website, so that would be r-project.org, I believe. And I hope that's right. You would see that I think the most recent version is R4.0.3, something along those lines. So Whenever you get to that page, you will be able to download the latest version. That's kind of on the default, but you can go back and download any version basically from, from version one. And then once you've installed it on your computer, it's, it's, yeah, it's there until you update it from yourself. I don't think you get any notifications. There's unless you sign up for any of these R newsletters that there's a new R version. So if you want to update, that's all up to you. You just go again to the, to that page and download the more recent R version. What you will much more often update is then packages. So packages basically be user-contributed um, set of functions that you can install and download. Um, and depending on the pace of the developer, there may be a new version every month or every six months or with very stable packages now, maybe every other year or so. So I would say a lot of innovation in the R space happens on the package side. The actual R itself is pretty stable and backward compatible. So you will not see any major changes. E even if you compare version three with version four, there are some breaking changes, but actually they are pretty, pretty minor. And maybe some functionality is added. But as I said, most of the innovation happens in packages. Okay, okay. How does it work on the SaaS side? Well, SaaS is... Um used to be if you wanted to upgrade or improve SAS, there would be some major release that would come out or, or some maintenance release come out. And then, and it's almost like completely reinstalling SAS again sometimes to, to get it to work. They did come up with um, this concept, I don't know, the last decade or so where they can provide sort of updates of particular parts of SAS. So like, like SAS stat, the, the package SAS stat, which includes all of the big statistics functions in it. They can, you can have SAS 9.4 installed, but you can get an update to SAS stat sometimes on that, that, that sits on top of SAS 9.4. That's the, that's the way it works. But uh, honestly, that's, uh, and to be honest, that's one of the, the things that's a challenge with running SAS is just the system administration of it, where Thomas was saying, if you want R and you want the latest packages, it's pretty much you sit down to your computer and you download it, right? And it it works usually works pretty well. SAS sometimes can take a little bit more of a configuration. There's a little bit more configuration work, particularly if you're not running it locally, like on a on a PC. But if you're running it on a server somewhere, uh, then you really kind of have to get your IT partners involved for configuring that. Yeah. So and that's also something like interesting. You have the how should I say it? You have the base SAS, yeah like the kind of comparable maybe to you know R in itself and then you have also kind of packages like SAS start and like you just mentioned SAS visuals and yeah. all kind of you know other things on top of that that you know and I used to know understand it all a lot better but base SAS comes with the basics of you can like 
read data into SAS. You can do data, the data step, but let's a lot of the data step things, which is very powerful in SAS. Don't get me wrong. Data step in SAS, amazing in what it can do. It's in it, very simple things that are difficult to do in other packages. You can do very simply with the way they've written that. But the, um, but then, you know, then if you want something to do regression, right? You need SAS stat, right? Because it's got proc reg and proc glm and proc mixed and all that included in it, right? Um, they've also added a lot of what they call high performance uh, routines in those. The so the so there's a there's a proc mixed and there's a proc hp mixed, and the difference is hp mix is designed to run on a system that's got a lot more memory, a lot more processors. It'll if you have a multi-core system on just even on your PC, it'll use all the cores rather than just one core, and and it can, things can run a lot faster that way. And those those high performance uh, routines that are designed for more sort of parallel processing within within a a, a CPU okay. system. So, now let's talk about one of the probably biggest differences: costs. So here's where the war starts. <laughs> Because I know the cost Thomas is going to say. What's, what's the answer, Thomas? Well, uh, R is an open source tool. You can get it for free from the internet. Um, what you have to invest is some effort, obviously, in getting up to speed. R Studio, also the most popular IDE. Um, there is a free version out of that. If you get more in the enterprise um, application, then you would also pay for that, getting R Studio Cloud, for example. But again, okay. the, the, the language itself is open source, free, um, so you could say no costs. Okay. And I think it's yeah. even written into the R consortium kind of things, you know, everything must be free, isn't it? It's, it's kind of, there's some. That's generally part of the open source license yeah. agreements that depending on the license agreement that. Yes. I think R is licensed on right. GPL version three. So the new, new public license, which basically states that this is free software and you can not just take it and wrap it into a commercial product. Um, so it is free by design. And if you want to reuse it in any way, then no. your solution must also be free. And it's really, if you want to kind of, and it, it depends, like if you have software that can use an API that calls R, but R is doing the work, that's not, you know, that's not violating the license. But if you're saying, I'm going to take the code, the actual base code, and incorporate that in my code and compile that, that's where you get in that issue where you can't do that and, and steal yeah. the, the open source code to use as your own and sell it commercially. Yeah. So. How is it for SaaS? Well, SaaS is, has a price, right? And it, it depends a lot on how you use it. That is, I think, one of the things that people get concerned about with SaaS sometimes is how they do their pricing and their licensing model, their pricing model. But oftentimes their pricing is based on the number of people that are going to be mm -hmm. using SaaS at the same time. And so if you, you know, when I started doing consulting uh, eight months ago and I checked into getting a copy of SaaS just in case I might need it. And the price they quoted me was just a bit too expensive for me as an individual consultant to want to buy, unless I was going to be solely doing mm -hmm. SaaS programming work. Like if I was just going to solely, that was all I was going to do 40 hours a week, it would make sense, right? I, I, just add a little bit in, into your consulting cost, fees, right, to, to pay for the license cost. But if you're going to use it occasionally, like I would, maybe three or four times a year right now, it's not worth it, you know? So I would definitely go use, yeah, I'd, be, I'd go use R probably to do what I need to do if I needed something like that. Unless it was absolutely something that 
SaaS only does, right? That R can't do. It would be hard to find uh, many cases where SaaS is the only option, right? Nowadays, but but that being said, for large companies that have a budget, right, and they have big problems to solve, I think SaaS is reasonable given the price of SaaS is typically reasonable compared to other types of similar software that are commercial software. Um, you know, so so I guess I would leave it at that and. Um, you know, and, and I think the price is always negotiable too, too, right? So you can always talk, talk with them and try to get a better price. Uh, but uh, the what you get for what you pay for, or I should say, sometimes you get what you pay for. And as Thomas said, if free is not free, free means you got to invest in the the knowledge, the people knowledge, the people infrastructure. Uh, the if it's if you're running R on a server. Uh, or something like that. This, this, just the the hardware IT support to get that. So it's not completely free. Now all that comes along with SaaS too. You got to have the same things. But sometimes you can, I found you can get really good support from SaaS uh, on getting yourself set up and keeping your system running. They also do a lot of just customer care. What's I think they call it customer care, where hey, we got a group of SaaS programmers. They want to learn something about SaaS, and they'll get one of their expert programmers to come in and give you yep. a seminar on it. Right. And that's just part of what comes along with uh, the, And they do that. Not, it's not formal in the agreement usually that you have with them, but they just do that because they want to keep you as a customer and they're, and they're good about that. And their technical support is really good. Yeah. Yeah. We have um, recently had a um, person from jump coming in and just giving a 90 yeah. minute presentation about it and then things like that too. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of, part of the sales programs that you basically get it for free these type of things and you know it's hard to compete with free i mean <laughs> i would be honest uh, um yeah. and what do you call and everyone learn and everyone in college right now what are they learning they're learning r because r is free yeah. i have two daughters one studying an undergraduate for statistics and another one's doing a graduate degree in statistics two of my three daughters the two youngest are studying statistics and they're learning r for most of what they do um they learned a little bit of SAS too i think just their their universities want them to have some other broader skills, but most of what they do is in R. Okay. Last point, acceptability. So how easy is it to kind of submit study data and things like that to regulators using SAS versus R? Um, yeah, I mean, certainly SAS has been used for 30, 40 years in this industry. So it is the standard uh, for sure. Um, R is, is relatively new in this space. And I think very few companies have yet submitted R code to the FDA, for example. That being said, there is a clear guidance document from the FDA stating that there is no need to submit in any particular software or specifically SAS. What you have to make sure is that you um, used a validated system. Um, and I think with SAS, having a company behind it that makes it easier kind of to get up a validated system. So on the R side, that's basically what companies are now heavily investing in, kind of in-house developing a, a validated R system, but actually not only in-house, there's um, things like the R consortium where there's working groups along those lines. That being said, from my experience at Roche, um, the, the use is, yeah, I would not, maybe not skyrocketing, maybe not go that far, but certainly on a very, um, high trend. And um, I know several teams that work on kind of um, studies that hopefully make it to submission and they are um, doing their work in R. Um, so 
Roche has invested quite a bit uh, in that space. And I think the, the thing that is missing now is one of the big pharma companies submitting one of their key trials and basically saying, we've done it all in R. I think once, uh, once that's out there, everyone sees that, oh yeah, um, this actually works. Because if you now talk to people, it's still kind of, oh, but can I use R? Is it a validated system? So people are still yeah. very cautious and maybe even anxious uh, about it. Um, but I think if you, if you ask that question five years down the road, you will just hear, yeah, sure, use, use SAS, use R, whatever. That certainly is the advantage SAS has because of history and inertia. It's generally accepted as good, right? Generally accepted that when you use SAS, you're going to get the right answer. Right. And it, it and I'm, I'm sure a lot of the efforts that are going in and even like the R and farmer work and to show that the functionality in R and the packages that you might include in the subset of packages that are considered validated match somewhat, at least the SAS output, or at least, you know, why they don't match if they don't match. Um, so it is, is kind of the gold standard. And that, that's an advantage, right, to, to, for SaaS. Uh, but you're right. I think the tipping point will be if one, probably probably not one pharma company, but I, when it gets to three pharma companies, that they've done three submissions with R and it's been accepted by the FDA and for, for the clinical trial work, uh, the clinical trial analysis and all the tables and figures and listings were generated that way, then, um, yeah, you're going to see it be a much bigger, a potential bigger change. I I my concern would be is that to not underestimate the amount of effort it's going to take to get to a state where people have that level of confidence of R in R that they do with SAS. Um, and, you know, that's one of the, uh, you know, some people say not-for-profit, not poor-profit, they have this debate, but the for-profit companies have a real incentive to make sure that their software works, yeah. right? Because if it doesn't, people aren't going to buy it anymore. And, and they're going to, they're not going to have uh, the revenue stream anymore. So there's a lot of work that goes in ensuring that the software is of good, good quality. And, uh, and I think in general, a lot of our packages are pretty good quality, but I, I wonder when I get the R package, that's the <laughs> R package 0.65, <laughs> which kind of communicates to me that, well, I kind of started this, but I didn't really finish the package. It may do, it may do what I needed to do, but, but I'm not sure I'd be, want to submit use that to do submission regulatory submissions so i i think you you raise a good point there certainly if you use r you have to make your due diligence and be sure that especially on the package side that what you use is fit for purpose mm -hmm. personally i would consider r itself and the packages that come with it to be of the same standard as says um it's maybe not a for-profit company behind it but it's um certainly a set of um people that follow similar software engineering best practices. Um, and if you then use package, popular packages, for example, a tidyverse kind of out of our studio, I would consider that of equally um, good quality. But then, yeah, if you download that package from GitHub that my buddy uh, wrote the other weekend, yeah, maybe be a bit skeptical about that. Well, it's funny when, when I worked for Elenco and Animal Health, the, some of their products are regulated by the not the FDA, but the um, USDA, U.S. Department of Agriculture. And they have a statistics group in there and they've written their own R packages that they like people to use to do the analysis of that they typically do. So I've used, that's actually some of my most recent examples of using R's where I've used their packages to 
to do uh, analysis that are actually used for batch release testing or or, qual or submissions to the to that regulatory agency. But it's not the FDA. It's not the EMEA. So. Yep. Interesting. Yeah, I think that wraps up a very, very good discussion about R versus SARS. And um, as you can listen, there are both are very, very powerful tools for sure. So this is both, you know, very flexible, lots of different things. And yeah, maybe it's also a little bit of a age topic. <laughs> yeah, I think there is an old versus young aspect here. Uh, people, what you learned when you were in school or what you learned when you started your career. I think you can really not underestimate this this point because if you now recruit for statistical programmers and if you ask them to be SAS expert, then your pool of candidates becomes somewhat slim. Um, whereas if you ask for R Python stuff, um, you have a much, much larger pool because that's what folks are introduced to these days. Um, so I think that's also one of the driving forces behind why big pharma companies kind of uh, doing a shift, um, even though they have a lot of production legacy code that is uh, working on the test side. Yeah. I'm pretty sure because of all the legacy code that there is, uh, SARS will not die very, very fast. <laughs> when it, when, no, I, I wouldn't count on that either. No, no, it will no, stick around. No, and I think, you know, any commercial company, they're going to innovate or they're going to die. And I think SaaS is innovating in a lot of ways. If you see what they're doing with their modern versions of their platforms where you install SaaS on, that you now can work with, you can have on this platform, you can running SaaS and R and Python and have a shiny server and everything all kind of on that system. It's all, And it's really kind of designed to integrate well. So for people can have that collection of tools in one place. And, you know, call R from SAS, right? There's, you can do that, right? You can actually call SAS from R too, right? You can, there's different ways to do that. And and so it's, I, I, I foresee a future where maybe there's more of a cohesive environment where people can choose to say, I'm going to have a computing environment and on that computing environment, I'm going to have a collection of tools and use the tools that I think are appropriate to solve my problems, so... Awesome. Thanks, Thomas. Thanks, Sam. That was an awesome episode. We talked, you know, from getting up to speed and ease of use, we talked about communities, which is, I think, one of my favorite parts of it, um, because I really love to, you know, work with communities. We talked about updates and costs and acceptability and visualization. So lots of different dimensions of uh, this debate. And stay tuned. We'll surely have kind of topics more or less related to that in the future. All Thanks right. so much. Take care. Thanks for having me. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this show, which was created in association with PSI. Thanks to Rain, who helps with the show in the background. And thank you for listening. Head over to theeffectivestatistician.com to find much more that can help you boost your career as a statistician in the health sector. Reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician. Bye.